0: Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today are the co founders of a startup that we're really excited about, I think is interesting. Uh, so, Samir Goyal and Abby Womino from Asusu, guys, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your being here. Thanks so much, Bradley. Thanks a lot for having us. So, you, you guys both have really kind of interesting personal stories. Um, and so, I, I'd like, if you don't mind, to just jump into those to then take us to how you met and then came with the idea first, or soon, and then what you're doing with the company. So, I don't know, Abby, you want to start first and kind of tell us how you got from
1: here to there. My name is Abioyemi and I, I grew up in the slums of Lagos, Nigeria. Um, I lost my father at the age of two, and I was raised by my mother and two feisty sisters. Something my mother fundamentally believed in was the importance of education. She afforded my school fees to one of the finest high schools in the land. And by doing that, I had the opportunity to take the SAT and get admission into the University of Minnesota. One thing that was clear during my experience in high school is the destitution of my social position did not necessarily limit my imagination. The fast. How old were you when you came to Minnesota? I was 17 years old. So I immigrated from 80 degree weather in Lagos <laughs> to negative 20 degrees in Minnesota. On a I
0: usually hear people compare Minneapolis and Lagos and they're very similar. So I'm want <laughs> to make that distinction.
1: Polar opposites. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the journey was quite, you know, a character building exercise, con- considering the difference. Um, But during that transition, something important happened. See, my mother and I, when we came here, like many immigrants that come to the United States, we didn't have a credit score. We walked into one of the largest financial institutions in Minnesota to borrow money, and we're turned away and had to go borrow money at over 400% interest rate from a payday loan lender. Oh, wow. And in addition to that, my mother pawned my father's ring and a bunch of other jewelry, and that's how we got started in the United States. So, really inspired by that experience, and you hear some years shortly, we started a on three core premises where you come from, the color of your skin, and particularly your financial identity should never determine where you end up in the wealthiest nation the world has ever seen, and dare I say, anywhere on this universe. Wow,
0: that's a, a bold but, but, Really great statement. All right, Samir, can you top that
2: story? So, as you know, my name is Samir and one of the co founders here at Asusu. And for me, the personal inspiration to uh, starting Asusu alongside Abby comes from my family's journey immigrating here from New Delhi, India. And, you know, our pathway to pursuing the American dream, so to speak, was just harder than it should have been. My father was mugged on his first day in the country. We didn't really have a place for shelter. And just about the only thing we could afford was a McDonald's hamburger, which is really tough for a family of vegetarians. But um, all jokes aside, you know, most of my upbringing was watching my parents work miracles with no credit and limited financial resources so that I could have some of the opportunities I've been afforded. And so like Abby said, our core ethos is, no matter where you come from, the color of your skin or your financial identity, it shouldn't determine where you end up in life. Samir, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Schenectady, New York. It's you—you uh, you all are New Yorkers, but it's about three hours north of New York City.
0: Yeah, a little, little, little different. <laughs> um, although, you know what? I've I've only been there once, and I have to say, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it would be like kind of a totally, you know, emptied out uh, upstate city, and there was there was some stuff going on. Yeah, you know. so,
2: look, Schenectady's got heart. You know, it's been through some ups and downs um and there's there's a lot there it's it's an acquired taste if you come from new york city you're not going to be too excited but there's a lot to appreciate about it also
1: so how did you guys meet so serendipitously simia and i went to nyu together but we didn't meet at nyu we met at a clinton global initiative conference president clinton usually invites young leaders particularly students to come to this conference whereby we could come up with entrepreneurial ideas to make the world a more perfect place. And during that time, Samir and I were running different businesses. Samir was doing sort of food security work, you know, essentially the Uber for transferring um, food to shelters and for folks that do not usually have access to food, which is powerful in and of itself. And I was working on cleaning up. what, what? What what company was that? Uh, The company was called Transfer Nation. That was the company Samir was working on then, and I was working on a company called Clean Water for Everyone. We usually build water infrastructure in developing countries. Yeah, I've heard of it.
0: I'm I'm blanking on the name now, but I invested slash just gave some money to, Samir, to another company in that space. It was a couple of years ago now out of uh, Berkeley that, that had a similar concept in terms of moving food from, like, corporate cafeterias and university cafeterias to, to food pantries.
2: That's like that's very much the the concept that we had originally built at Transformation, basically working with corporate events, making sure extra food got to shelters and soup kitchens and figuring out that real time logistics network, which is a lot of what Uber had to figure out too. How do you get things from point A to point B uh, in a short time while maintaining all the health code stuff? But the amount of food we waste is is tremendous. So it was fun to work on that problem in my co-founder Hana now kind of runs that that company
0: okay so then keep keep going with the story I right, interrupted.
2: so Abby and I met in the uh Clinton global initiative conference yeah, right and at the time like Abby alluded to we were both running separate companies and so we actually both were funded at the same conference and as a result of that funding we had the opportunity to meet and just realize that we shared similar passions values and had a similar set of experiences that defined our Uh, our time here in america and so just because of all that kind of shared context we became good friends and we saw each other around campus we'd make introductions for each other and just support each other's uh endeavors in any way that we could and the following year at that same conference we became roommates and continued to just get to know one another in that way and Mm -hmm. following our initial foray into social entrepreneurship we both took a step into corporate america I, i i joined linkedin and had a tour of duty with them. And Abby joined um, Goldman Sachs and then PricewaterhouseCoopers. And at some point, we met back up uh, in a New York classic called Max Brenner's. It's a chocolate shop uh, around the Union Square area. Oh, yeah. it had this. And <laughs> had a great conversation around the fact that while we were enjoying our work in corporate America and learning a lot, it didn't really speak to us in the same way that some of our previous work had. And we really wanted to get back to doing something that was bigger than ourselves and really using our heart for world and our mind for business to do something that could impact the communities that we come from. And so at that meeting, we started discussing uh, AsUSu and basically from there started building while still in our corporate jobs. We started out with a very different uh, kind of concept that was more based on rotational savings, but eventually pivoted into what we do today around reporting rental data into the credit bureaus. And in 2018, quit our corporate jobs to focus on this full time. I'd say we've been through every up and down under the sun together, and that's what makes our partnership so strong. But that's kind of the founding story and genesis of Asusu. Yeah,
0: you guys have been on the Foxhole together. So, Abby, then walk us through kind of one what Asusu does, and two, more maybe more importantly, you know how you think it's having the kind of societal impact that you and Samir were looking to have.
1: So, when we think about what Asusu does, we have to go down a little bit down memory lane to understand the why as to why this why this is important in the first place. So Isuzu is really focused um, on working with landlords and property managers to essentially report rental data into the credit rating agencies to help residents establish or build their credit scores. Because if you have a poor credit score, it can cost you over a quarter million dollars in interest over your lifetime. So our idea is simple, when you pay your mortgage, you get credit for it, when you pay your rent, you should get credit for it, and that data is currently not reported today. As a matter of fact, only 1% of that data is reported today, which is a travesty in our opinion. And the last thing is, if residents can afford to pay rent, we offer them zero interest loans, paid directly to their landlord, so they can stay in their home, And as a society, we're not solving homelessness backwards. So
0: if you're offering zero interest loans, how do you guys make money?
1: We make money by charging the landlord. We make a simple argument to the landlord and say, look, if your residents are in a good financial health, and if you have a situation whereby their rent shortfalls and we offer the zero interest loans, right, it is better for you to pay us instead of the residents paying us. So we work with the landlords. They pay us because they fundamentally believe their residents are their most important assets. And when they're in the, they're in the period of financial shock, yeah. SUSU will be there for them.
0: Um, so uh, and then societal impact. I mean, I think you can kind of glean it from the, the point you just made. But but at its core, if Asusu
1: you know scales and, and works in a, in a big way, what is right? So when we think about the ISUSU, our vision is to leverage the power of data to bridge the racial wealth gap. And you might ask, what does credit have to do with that? You know, it's a fundamental belief that the United States is built on cheap debt. You go to the legacy of slavery, think about the legacy of Jim Crow, but even more profoundly, the Federal Housing Authority backed a lot of mortgages for many people, sequel to Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal, But a few people were left behind, which were predominantly African-Americans and other people of color. The Federal Housing Authority did not necessarily back the loans of those people because of the color of their skin or what they sound or look like. So what we are trying to do is not only have a dream, because we think the dream is big, but we want to leverage data by reporting on-time rental data uh, into the credit rating agencies to help people get good credit scores so they can get access to things like a home, which many people are left behind today. So when you think about the grand scheme of things, the average white family has 10 times as much wealth than the average black family. 76% of that wealth is baked in home ownership. And we all know the compounding effect of what home ownership value has been since the thirties till today. What we are trying to do is right that wrong by reporting data like this and giving families a fighting chance. And then number two is when we think about the journey at Isusu, what we want to do is stabilize someone, establish their financial identity, and eventually help them build wealth. So the Isusu platform is a journey built on a concept we call justice capitalism. The current capitalist structure we have today we believe is a mansion built on a sinking sand. And what we are doing at Isusu is justice capitalism, a new construct that is more fair, equal, just, and accessible to everyone.
0: All right, so two, two questions from there. One, uh, Samir, can you just walk the listeners through, or Abby, uh, how, how credit scores currently work and kind of why they're flawed? And then, and then two, you know, What would Justice Capital at scale look like beyond what what you guys are doing? You know, if if I gave you a magic wand and said, okay, you're now king of the economy, um, how do things change?
2: So to tackle the first part of that, which is how does credit scores work today and why are they flawed? So if you think about credit, it's really the lifeline to participating fully in the United States economy. It's a three digit number that essentially determines are you trustworthy or not? Technically, a credit score is used to measure your likelihood to repay a financial obligation, but it's evolved to basically be a proxy for trust. And so credit scores are used in everything, ranging from the ability to get a home loan to more kind of day-to-day purchases like a car loan, uh, refinancing a student debt, accessing a credit card, and even now qualifying for certain jobs, apartments, and homes. And so if you don't have a credit score, or you have a thin credit, or you have a poor credit score, you're basically excluded from the mainstream financial system. And the worst part about the the credit system as it stands today is it's founded on this concept of guilty until proven innocent. If I don't know enough about Bradley, the default assumption is that he's a bad credit risk. And it creates this kind of cycle that's almost impossible to break out of because to get good credit, you have to take on credit. And if your mom and dad didn't put you on a credit card when you were young, or you didn't go to a top-notch university where you were able to use your educational background to access a credit card you basically have to take out predatory debt that traps you into a debt cycle and then you're never able to really rebuild that credit the reason why rental data is so powerful as a addition to credit scoring and overall this system of determining trustworthiness is because most people who are left behind from the financial system today are renters and for most of these folks it's their largest monthly expense and is really an excellent data point to one, include millions of people into financial system, but to actually accurately judge their ability to meet a financial obligation. So we're not basically destroying the system, but rather we're creating an alternative set of data that can be used to accurately underwrite someone's trustworthiness that doesn't create this catch 22 of needing to take on debt to get credit, but needing credit to take on debt. So,
0: Samir, let me just jump in quickly with a a follow-up on this part, which is uh, our our tax system, and it just seems like our economy and society in general is heavily weighted towards this notion of home ownership, and we want everyone to own a home. Obviously, there's a discriminatory you know, piece to that, which you guys are, are fixing and correcting. But from a macro standpoint, is, is that thesis right or wrong?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So our entire tax system is definitely set up to incentivize homeownership and actually to incentivize people to purchase uh, rental and single family home properties at scale. There is no asset class that has more tax advantage than real estate. A few examples of this are basically being able to write off expenses, depreciation, and things like what's called a 1031 exchange where when you sell a property, you can use that to invest in a larger property without taxes. There's a lot of benefits to being a real estate owner, both as a homeowner, but then also even just to incentivize people to purchase and build homes. And so one of the things that's really interesting about giving people the opportunity to move from renting to home ownership is it's not only a good thing for their individual renter, but it's a good thing from a macroeconomic standpoint, because debt basically moves the economy forward. People take on an average home loan of $100,000. And so if you're looking at the you know, 45 million people that are credit invisible or the 70 million that are credit thin, that's trillions of dollars in capital that can be unlocked in terms of financial products and services that are deployed.
0: And so, Abby, this is probably a good segue then into justice capitalism. So if, if you take what Samir just said, what would the world look like uh, kind of uh, according to you guys and how, how would you restructure things so that that we can unlock a lot of this wealth and give more people more opportunity
1: and access. Building on what Samir said, what the world would look like practically, to start off with, is the gap currently between the rich and the poor would actually shrink. Because when you have a system that is not constructed on the very few that continues to get rich, right, and you open pathways where people can also participate in a fair and just economy, naturally, that would shrink. And just to contextualize that, we always use this number at Isuzu. The average debt in the United States is $92,000, right? There are over 45 million people that don't even have a credit identity. So these people go to payday loan lenders and other financial institutions. If you multiply that number, times the $92,000. We can unlock over $4.1 trillion for the American economy. That is not only, and by the way, that's going to be taxed at 30 plus percent compared to capital gain tax for the wealthy, which is less than 20%. So you see the construct here. In a justice capitalist focused world, the government wins, society wins, people are included. In this economic system and guess what the well the wealthy also do does well that's what we're pushing for in a justice capitalist system your financial identity what you look like or where you come from is not going to be determine the kind of financial product or access you get in this in, in, in this construct and above all when we think about this this system, we you are not gonna have a system that essentially castigates you as being guilty until proven innocent. You're gonna have a plethora of data to better price and understand your risk and give you a fighting chance, just like Franklin Delano Roosevelt did for many, but left out a significant few which is essentially create a large imbalance in our society today. That is the true genius of this concept of justice capitalism. There's a whole bunch of concepts we can go into and a ripple effect, but those are the three top things. Mm -hmm. We need to remind ourselves that the country we reside in is built on the principles of cheap debt. And for us to level the playing field, we gotta give more people an opportunity to participate so we can all prosper. That makes total sense.
0: So, Samir, how, how do the kind of how does the financial world see you guys? Are they threatened? Are they amused? Are they ignoring you? What what what's been the response so far?
2: Yeah, that's a terrific question, Bradley. I think the good news is that, you know, as Abby was describing, justice capitalism. One of the things that we don't believe in is burning down the system, right? Capitalism, the financial system has its merits. There's power in the economy, but it needs to be laced with some justice. And so, because we have that stance rather than burning down the institutions, we work with a lot of existing partners in the market. And so for example, we work closely with the credit agencies, we work closely with financial institutions because if we're able to more accurately predict and understand the risk of low to moderate income consumers, that's good for everyone, right? It's good for SUSU because we're achieving our vision to bridge the racial wealth gap and growing as a business, but it's good for the credit bureaus because they can actually make more money because they're able to understand the credit profile of consumers they don't currently understand. Financial institutions are able to deploy more of their balance sheet, just serving a larger portion of the population, and they're able to manage their risk appropriately because they have the right data points to underwrite that risk. And so we look at this as an ecosystem that we're an important part of, but we're not looking to burn down the system, we're looking to figure out how we can make it better so that everyone has that same equal opportunity that's promised to them.
0: Makes sense. All right, I'm going to end this with a lighter topic, which is, I'm sure you guys get asked about this all the time, but you have a very famous celebrity investor, uh, Serena Williams. H- how'd you guys get to her? And what'd you say that convinced her to do this?
1: Look, we're, we're very privileged, Bradley, to walk alongside, you know, an exceptional, the greatest tennis player of all time, an incredible investor. You know, she, mm-hmm. alongside her team, looked at the the value proposition of Isuzu and fundamentally came to a conclusion that we can not only outperform from a financial metric, but we can all we can also do a lot of good in the world. See, Serena Williams is someone we call a justice capitalist, also, because she fundamentally believed doing well and doing good and is not mutually exclusive. So we're very fortunate to have her in our corner. It's been a joy working with the Serena Ventures team. And the best is still yet to come in terms of some of the exciting things we're going to be rolling out together. So stay tuned.
2: That's great.
0: Uh, You guys want to give us like a little bit of a preview of, of, if you can, of what, what new features and products you're going to roll out?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Bradley. So I think, you know, at Asusu, we've been kind of growing the value proposition that we have, and we've started working on what we call our master plan. So while all of that is not publicly available, what we are doing right now is making sure that we have the most comprehensive platform for what we call resident financial stability. This is a good thing for renters and a good thing for landlords. We're keeping renters' financial lives healthy. And for landlords, we're increasing the stability of their assets because their most important asset is actually their renter. And if they're financially healthy, then the property performs well. What this looks like is right now we do rent reporting to help people build and establish credit. We do our microloans to help keep people in their homes. We do predictive analytics but we're gonna be adding additional products and services to that. So you can think about things like flexible rent payments. You can think about things like insurance products. You can think about financial literacy and credit education, but really making sure that our platform is holistically solving this problem of resident financial stability. That's kind of our core focus right now. And then on our end, we're growing really fast as a business. And so we're super focused on making sure we're we're nailing our execution and just scaling with some of the partners that we already have, because today we already cover 2 million rental units across the country. We anticipate within the coming months to be closer to 5 million. And so there's a lot of uh, just growth to be had and execution to focus on.
0: Uh, last question. How do people sign up and how do landlords participate? What's the best way for people to find you guys?
1: Landlords can go to www.isusurent.com We're very active on LinkedIn, so you can find us as Asusu were active on instagram my isusu but the website is the number one go to spot www.isusurent.com incredibly excited to engage right
0: very cool hey guys look one thanks for coming on and two congratulations It's, it's rare that you see someone who's you know really trying to do both well and good and succeeding at it in the way that you guys are so Uh, Really, congrats on on what you're doing and uh, we'd love to have you back on sometime soon.
2: Thanks so much, Bradley. It really means a lot to us and appreciate you giving us a chance to engage with your audience. Um, If you need anything else, just let us know, but hopefully we can meet in person sometime. Would, Would love to. That sounds great. Thanks a lot, Bradley. Awesome. Thanks, guys.